Hey Jared, I think this episode is actually going to release uh, on Mother's Day. That's perfect, because have I ever told you like how much I love how my mommy? I love my mommy. I love my mommy too, that's so crazy. We love all the moms, whether they're a felon or not a felon. We all love our moms. We're a couple of mommy lovers. A couple of mommy lovers. Can we give a special dedication of this one to all the mommies in the audience? Whether you uh, hang out at golf tournaments in Palm Springs, whether you're doing mm-hmm. laundry in a prison somewhere in Cal- the California penal system. Mm-hmm. Special shout out to all those mommies. Welcome back to Wings Nuts. This is the weekly audio program that talks about each and every episode of classic 90s sitcom Wings. This program is kid tested, mother approved. Hey, Emerson. Hey, Jared. Hey, Mikey. <laughs> he likes it. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Great. I uh, went for a long hike today, like a like a workouting hike with your coworkers kind of thing. It was pretty yeah. sweet. I feel like that's uh, something that only exists in the Bay Area. <laughs> Bless it, then. It was it was lovely. That's but really my, cool. Yeah, my, I'm my legs are it. feeling like Gumby, though. Like a pretty long hike. It was like um, three miles, I think, but it was like up 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 a big hill. You know, were you guys picking up trash along the way or anything along those lines? I'd love to say yes, but no, I didn't pick up any trash. Okay, but neither did I leave any. So. My karma is clean. Yosemite's motto back in the 80s and 90s was like, uh, leave only footprints, take only photos, I think. <laughs> I like that. And also, <laughs> um, some of the pens that, I, that I've like uh, had over yeah. the years, like, you know, from Yosemite, open all year. <laughs> <laughs> what a motto. <laughs> I think uh, Ansel Adams came up with one of those. I can't remember which one. Yeah, he was uh, all about the open all year. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're doing season two, episode 20, Mother War Stripes. Yeah. Which originally aired March 14th, 1991. So I found IMDb had both a summary and a synopsis. And so I chose the synopsis because I don't know the differences between the two. But this one was was more fun. Uh, IMDb synopsis. Brian is watching golf TV and on a wild chance spots his mother who disappeared 20 years earlier. He excitedly tells Joe, but Joe is less than impressed. Nevertheless, Brian calls mom and invites her to come to the island for a visit. Brian expects Joe to come around and make up to their mother, but Joe resists, saying he can't forgive her for abandoning them. Yeah. So uh you're not like you're not like that big of a sports guy, but you ever mm-hmm. watch you ever watch golf TV? <laughs> never, never have I ever. <laughs> golf TV made me laugh. And I can't really we've never seen the gang just like casually watching TV. I don't think any of us saw that there was a TV up in that corner. So it oh, is yeah. a bit it is a bit odd that this is the first time they're watching TV and it happens just coincidentally to be 
the one time his mother gets hit with a golf ball by an ex-president. <laughs> That's right. Very wild coincidence. So do you have like like the the stats, the crew, and the cast, and the guests? Yes. This episode was written by one Mr. David Lloyd. Now, um, you may remember David Lloyd is kind of at the tail end of his long TV writing career. If you didn't know that, some of the jokes in this episode might clue you off to that. But he also previously wrote the Wings episode, Friends or Lovers. Okay. Friends or Lovers, due to desperation and loneliness, loneliness. Joe and and Helen decide to go on a date. Okay. To spare his feelings, they choose to keep it a secret from Brian. So yeah, that's the one where Brian's hiding in the back seat, which I yeah, it's a great episode. Yeah, that is a good episode. Um, I don't think it made me cry as much as this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we had a bit of a tonal shift to in this episode, not just for the series, but also even just compared to David Lloyd's past episode. Yes, and we had a one guest star, Bab- Barbara Babcock, played May Hackett, the mother to Brian and Joe. We've, we see, previously saw um, May Hackett in home movies, and this is a different actor playing her. Yes. Um, in Barbara Babcock's, Babcock's career, she played six different characters in six different episodes of Star Trek, the original series. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Like way she, back to, is that the, the 60s or that 70s? Yeah, the, the 60s. That's awesome. Um, she played... Paula on, I believe, two episodes of Empty Nest. And okay. she played Charmaine on Golden Girls. And, you know, listeners may recall that Golden Girls and Empty Nest were in this, the same universe. So that's kind yes. of interesting. Yeah. So she's kind of a chameleon, huh? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. she's playing different characters in six different episodes of, of Star Wars OTS. Wait. Star Trek. Thank you. Very oh, much. Star Trek. TOS. Yes. Oh boy. Yeah. Um yeah, that's that was <laughs> unintentional. I apologize. It's okay. Just don't let it happen again. Um I wasn't apologizing to you. I was apologizing oh. to uh one one lucky listener. <laughs> um and then she played like two different characters on Empty Nest and Golden Girls. Yeah, in the same universe, she was two different characters. Um, oh, and she also had a reoccurring role on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman as Dorothy Jennings, and she was on an episode of Frasier. Cool. I mean, she looked vaguely familiar. I didn't actually look her up, so um, mm-hmm. I don't know if there is anything in her career that I would have known her from, but mm-hmm. yeah. News. What do you got for us today, Emerson? I'm in the Inquirer and Mirror and a couple of like follow-ups. Great. So in a previous episode, I talked about how Nantucket scallopers were approved to work on Sundays in order to provide scallops for the um, Boston Seafood Show. And here we go. Local scallops, a hit at Boston Seafood Show. <laughs> so they pulled through and these scallopers made it to the show. They did. A half hour after the International Boston Seafood Show opened Wednesday, Ray DaCosta already had a pocket full of business cards from seafood buyers who had taken an interest in Nantucket Bay scallops. It was the reason he made the trip. So yeah, it sounds like it was a success. Yeah, we're proud of you, Nantucket. 
Yeah. You scrappy scallopers. Um, let's see how you feel about this last paragraph of the whole article. Most people were very positive about the product, said Pease, as the scallops were being served up breaded and deep fried, broiled in butter and garlic, and raw. It helps to educate the public. Most people weren't aware of the difference. <laughs> you, um, you're big time anti-scallop, yeah? Yeah, yeah, not. yeah. I think, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, who can't tell the difference between a raw scallop and a fried scallop? Oh, I did skip over the part of the article that talks about how Nantucket scallops, uh, they say that because they're, they're like fished out of more shallow waters, the, the scallops move around more and have like a sweeter taste. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. The effort seemed to be heading in the right direction as more than one taster asked if they were cooked with sugar. <laughs> a buyer from Nova Scotia went so far as to rate them number one after theorizing that scallops from shallow, warmer water are sweeter than their deep water cousins because they move around more. Pseudoscience, come on. Oh, yeah, big time. That sounds like total bullshit. Probably, but who knows? But if it sells your scallops, whatever. Live the lie. Oh, yeah. I loved this letter to the editor from Thomas V. V. Shanahan, who Mm -hmm. just happens to be the director of Teen Center. Cool. Uh, 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 uh. Shanahan sends thanks. To all who helped at pasta night, my apologies for being so tardy in getting this letter out. My only excuse is I really have been busy with school vacation and three different trips to Boston. But it certainly does not take away the gratitude I have for all of your efforts on our behalf. Putting my expectations aside, the event was a big success. The people who did come for dinner were quite pleased. More importantly, the involvement with the teens on your part really made the difference. Specifically, I want to thank the Knights of Columbus, Vincent's Restaurant, Something Natural, Bart Gangami of Tacos Tacos, shout out Bart, Everett Reed of American Seasons, Dwayne King, Tim Reader, Ton Di, Ton Di Gian Vittorio, Ton, Ton, Ton Di Gian Vittorio, and all who joined us for dinner that night. Without your support, the teen center would be an impossibility. And I like I love this letter because uh, you know we got a callback to recent star of our news stories, uh, Bart Gangami. And I also just liked he kind of like threw a little bit of uh, of sass in there when he was like uh, putting my expectations aside. The event was a big success. The people who did come for dinner were quite pleased. So obviously, it's, it kind he's kind of letting it out that it was probably a poorly attended event. I love it. Yes. <laughs> and I love his, his little brag that he, he was so busy with three different trips to Boston. That's great. Cool. So I have a follow-up article to the taxi debacle. Taxi owners, police reached tentative accord. Nantucket taxi customers may soon refer to fare zone maps to ensure they are being charged fairly. The map system will replace a written list of zones if the selectmen accept the plan the police and the Nantucket Taxi Owners Association agreed upon this week. 
The island will be divided into 20 zones on the new maps instead of the 26 currently listed on the town's official rate card. Some taxi owners argue that rates should also be examined when the board reviews the plan next Wednesday. They point to a recent study by the town of Newton that shows Nantucket's rates are slightly higher than six of seven towns surveyed for short trips, but significantly lower on long hauls. But Police Sergeant Charles Gibson says he will recommend rates remain virtually the same. Okay. Way to go, taxis. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And this will continue to be litigated on Nantucket for decades to come, right? Yeah, it continues to be, yeah. Cool. Um, I also have an update. We we talked uh, last week or the week before, I forget, about the airplane fuel, jet fuel crisis in Nantucket, how they want to environmentalists versus the airport versus the town. And uh, so this headline reads, State Rejects Airport's Final Pipeline Report. And I'll I'll highlight a couple paragraphs here. Mm -hmm. Um, Despite the setback, airport manager Fred Yeager says the state's decision does not jeopardize the airport's current use of the pipeline. This response from the Office of Environmental Affairs does not change the way we operate the pipeline. They want us to do a better job in documenting alternatives. It's going to drag out the paperwork, but we still have a long window of opportunity. So the airport is grousing a little bit. I'll continue here. Uh, Both the Planning Commission and the Conservation Commission urged the state not to accept the final EIR. They claim no substantial work was ever done to study the impact to the creeks, or to evaluate alternative sites, including Jetty's Beach, Brant Point, the Steamship Authority Pier, and the Town Pier. In the face of that criticism, the airport's project manager and consultant, Joseph Forns, claims the fuel offloading issue is a town-wide problem. Uh, The temporary pipeline is there because there's no other way, he said. It's hard to beat on the airport when it's really an overall town problem. Cool. Uh, page 7A, timely fire drill followed by real blaze two hours later. <laughs> uh, a fire exercise became a valuable and timely experience Tuesday night when a real fire broke out two hours later that required the same methods the men practiced earlier. Each month, the firemen attend routine drills where they freshen their use of techniques to handle equipment such as smoke masks and air packs, smoke ejectors, and ladders, said Fire Chief Bruce Watts. Tuesday evening at 6.30, 27 of his men gathered at First Winthrop's employee dorms off Somerset Road. The building was filled with non-toxic smoke using the fire the department's smoke machine. Um, firefighters were sent in to rescue live participants and dummies and to clear out the building using a smoke ejector. This is the actual condition you find when you go into a house, Watt said. Just two hours later... Watts and his crews were called to a smoke-filled house at 34 North Liberty Street. The dog that belongs to renter Betsy Caldwell habitually habitually knocks over her trash container, said Watts. <laughs> Tuesday night, Caldwell planned to go out and put the trash basket on top of the stove. As the dog struggled to reach the container, he turned on a burner, setting the container on fire. The trash basket fell off the stove and started the floor ablaze, with flames burning through to the underside of the house, causing $5,000 in damage. The house was full of smoke, and the men had to go in with their air packs on, said Watts. It was exactly (laughs) what we had earlier, (laughs) but in fact, it was the real thing. 
you never know when you're going to be able to use all this fire training. So we train for the worst scenario. <laughs> were those Watts's hiccups or were those yours? Those were Watts's hiccups. I was trying oh, to give okay. him a, a little. Uh... <laughs> he's he's drinking some water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a little bit uh, dehydrated. <laughs> he's got fire lung. Oh, yeah. I don't mean to put on my tinfoil conspiracy hat, but this is reminding me a lot of how, like, on 9-11, the government was, like, having uh, simulation flight games uh-huh. that were quite similar to, you know, the the events that would transpire on 9-11 at the same time. Interesting. I, didn't, I mean, I didn't know about that, so, yeah. Well, it's true. Trust me. <laughs> is, this, is this real world or exercise? No, this is not an exercise manifest. I'm going to hop over to the Boston Globe now. And as as we may uh, delight and rejoice, the Iraq war continues to be over. Yes. There were some articles like pointing to the aftermath of that. But I what I no- noted as the front page as well as some of the other sections were um, a lot of articles kind of having to deal with financial woes and issues with the economy, um, heading into a recession and all that business. So I'll just share a couple headlines. Um from the front page, fiscal condition of Massachusetts worsens. Wall Street warns of fall to junk bond status. Mm. And then uh, another headline, Malone tells Weld, state must borrow. So Massachusetts is in trouble, uh, indicator of broader national financial concerns. Another headline, benefits run out as do options for many jobless. Uh, long article um, highlighting unemployment, things like that. Uh, but this this article I liked, uh, in compromise, House okays $30 billion for savings and loan bailout. And so this was like, there was like the um, savings and loan kind of collapse uh, uh, scandal in the late 80s. and. Uh-huh. There basically, um, the Congress is still dealing with it in 1991. And this article talks about how there's like a lot of uh, back and forth between Republicans and Democrats. Um, A quote from Chuck Schumer here, who uh, some of you may know and love. It's about time. It wasn't easy to do, but it had to be done. So that's kind of like the consensus of our politicians is. Republicans and Democrats both wanted more funding to pass it. This is an additional thirty billion to previous bailouts, and um, they just it took them a while to agree on, you know, what what different measures would be kind of attached to a potential bailout package. And in, uh, at this point, from what research I could find, it seems like the overall cost of the series of bailouts. Over the over the savings and loan scan scandal was about seven hundred billion dollars total. Wow! And, uh, yes, and there were various banking reforms which came from it. Many of which would you know come to be rolled back from uh, the following administrations. And you know, and, and we still ended up with a huge you know uh, financial crisis in two thousand eight. So it seems like you know we just never quite learn, and every eight to 10 years or so, there's like a massive collapse in some sector of our, our economy, which, you know, require, they say requires a bailout too big to fail and all that. And it just kind of just keeps happening, happening. It's kind of cyclical. Yes. And, uh, yeah. And I, I'll just never get over the fact, like the government always is very concerned about that, you know, banks can't fail 
and um, the instruments of kind of capitalism can't fail. But when it comes to something like healthcare debt or people declaring bankruptcy because of healthcare or say student loans, there's, there's never any money for things like that. And always money for war and bank bailouts, never money for the little people. Right. I learned like in one of my world history classes that the idea of ownership has always been like an important issue because what we own and, and how, how we are able to operate in the world is based on like uh, bank accounts that are like backed by nothing. We don't mm-hmm. have the, we don't have the gold. We don't have like, and so I, I feel like if, if that was like, like allowed to just collapse, it would probably create uh, chaos. Well, so they say. I'm still at the Enquirer mirror. This is kind of, this is kind of a fucked up uh, article, but um, this is part of the district court report. In Monday's district court, local resident Stephen Scannell admitted to a March 4th charge of assault and battery with a dangerous weapon. According to the court report, Scannell's wife, Mara, Mary Lynn, Mary Ellen, Mary Ellen, Mary Ellen, locked the door of their house while her husband was out. Shortly before 10 p.m., Scannell knocked on the door and his wife let him in. Scannell admitted that he had been drinking that night and that after his wife went to bed, he struck her several times with a shovel. Police arrived at the house at 10.08 p.m. Judge Brian Rowe sentenced Scannell to 59 days in the Barnstable House of Corrections. Rowe suspended the sentence and placed Scannell on probation for one year with the condition that he continue counseling with his priest. Anyone who comes home and chases his wife out of the house with a shovel and kicks her needs counseling, said Rowe. The lady, the lady was in bed, and you commenced to whack her with the shovel and kick the hell out of her. Any further problem? Bang. You get 59 days. Hmm. Which is just wild to me that, like, this guy, that feels light. Yes. Go to your, go to your priest. Go talk to your priest. Yeah. Get some counseling from your religious leader. Yeah, I really didn't like this. I, I read this article, too, and, I, yeah, I thought he got a very light sentence, and... Yeah. Uh, and it sucks that his wife has to continue living with him. Yeah, she uh got like a modified restraining order where he's allowed like it says a, a modified restraining order against her husband allowing him to live at home if he refrains from abusing her. That is fucked up, man. Yeah, yeah, it's that terrible. Should, that should be like yeah, like that should be the automatic rule like do not you you can't live in my fucking house if you're going to abuse me. Justice was not served in this case. Oh, no. Yeah. I got this article here. Mm-hmm. Finder returns $80,000 lost by police from De Plaine, Illinois. Yes. Hell yeah. I, I saw that one too. <laughs> this is a great article. <laughs> a man has returned $80,000 lost by a police detective on his way to a drug buy, authorities said. Police in this Chicago suburb said the officer left the bag of $50 and $100 bills on top of his car and drove away on March 2nd. On Tuesday, a lawyer called police saying a client had found the money and would return it. The attorney brought in the cash but declined to identify his client, Police Chief John C. Storm said. The finder (laughs) was driving down a street and saw the bag lying in the road with money visible. The man took home the bag and counted the money, Randolph said. After hearing a radio port report about the missing money, the man called his lawyer. And 
this dude is a rube. Like you find a bag of cash, you keep the cash. And the, <laughs> the detail that this was money that some bumbling idiot officer left on the car and drove off. And like this, this was $80,000 they were going to use to like stitch someone up for a drug buy. I think it's just like such wonderful justice that the stupid cop, like just dropped it in the street. And the only thing that saddens me about this story is that the big dummy returned the money. <laughs> yeah. You keep that money. So obviously, obviously you would keep it. Yes. My only thing is if I was that dude, I would have like my, a pang on my conscience. Like maybe this was some good person's money and it was like their life savings or something. But then as soon as I hear on the radio that it was the police drug bus money, I'm like, yes, I can keep this money with totally total clear conscience. What a rube. What a rube. (laughs) Yeah. The only person dumber than the cop in that story is the guy who returned the money. Well, I don't have any any other articles, but I did look up Today in History. Mm -hmm. Take me back to March 14th, 1991. Let's take a (laughs) stroll down memory lane. The date is March 14th, 1991, and it's a Thursday. Anyone born today will have the star sign Pisces. Spring has started to creep in, and the days are beginning to get longer. St. Patrick's Day is just around the corner. In America, the song Someday by Mariah Carey is on top of the singles charts. Over in the UK, Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash is a number one hit song. George W. Bush Sr. is currently the president of the United States, and the movie Sleeping with the Enemy is at the top of the box office. In the United Kingdom, John Major is the current prime minister. Texting is not a thing yet. Instead, people are using landline phones and pagers. Furthermore, the vast majority of people still have no idea what the internet is. (laughs) In fashion, many of the trends from the late 80s are still popular. Colored tights, denim overalls, leotards, flannel shirts, and shoulder pads are all fashionable at the moment. A civil war is currently taking place in the African country of Rwanda. It's 1991, so the airwaves are being dominated by artists such as Brian Adams, Michael Jackson, Roxette, R.E.M., Color Me Dat Bad, and Paula Abdul. A controversial video of an Af- African-American man called Rodney King being beaten by police has just been released. The footage has sparked racial tensions in Los Angeles. In the Middle East, Operation Desert Storm has recently come to an end after a short ground war between U.S.-led forces and the Iraq military. Yeah, so much of the stuff we've we've touched on in the last uh, however many months. Ooh, it says, meanwhile, R.E.M. have just released their new album, Out of Time, which contains the hit, singer, hit, hit single, Losing My Religion. Yeah, great album. I had that yeah. on cassette. Um, R.E.M. also contains the hit singer, uh, Michael Stipe. <laughs> <laughs> the cover of my, my earlier flub. <laughs> In England, the Birmingham Six have been released from prison following a court ruling that their convictions were unsafe and unsatisfactory. The six Irishmen had previously been sentenced to life in prison for the Birmingham pub bombings in 1974. And uh, speaking of wrongfully accused and wrongfully imprisoned, Mm -hmm. I have a headline here. Last New York jogger defendant gets up to four and a half years in deal. 
The last six teenagers charged in the near-fatal rape and assault of the woman known as the Central Park Jogger was sentenced yesterday to one and a half to four and a half years as part of a plea deal. Stephen Lopez, 17, pleaded guilty to robbery in the mugging of a male jogger. Charges in the woman's attack were dropped. Although other youths said Lopez was one of the woman's chief attackers, State Justice Thomas Galligan noted that the court records don't reflect that. But decent people everywhere will remember the sentencing as the final chapter of the brutal and sadistic rampage in Central Park by a large group of cowardly attackers who found strength in each other. Ten youths were indicted in connection with a rampage by 30 to 40 teenagers that night of April 19, 1989 in Central Park. Victims included joggers, bicyclists, and pedestrians. Six were indicted in the attack on the female jogger, the most seriously injured victim. The 28-year-old investment banker was found naked and covered with mud and blood in a ravine. And... I kind of want to highlighted this article um, because, you know, that we now know of like the Central Park Five. We know that they were wrongfully convicted and a lot of that was enabled by um, articles kind of like this, but even more like inflammatory where their guilt was presumed. And Donald Trump uh, famously took out like a full page ad condemning them. And they were like, of course, uh, black teenagers. And it was only later realized that it was actually Matias Reyes uh, that uh, committed the rape and assault. And what this case kind of shows is how like, you know, not, not only how you can use like a mob mentality and use like the power of the press and, and the bully pulpit to wrongfully convict innocent people, but you can also just like really get inside the head of and fuck with innocent people like because it got to the point with with if you know this case with the with the teenagers uh, if you like berate and torture and interrogate people long enough you can actually make them believe that they committed the crime and that was like they got these teenagers like to confess and stuff to the crime just by uh, using like methods of torture basically and interrogating them that's awful yeah, so obviously when they published this article, um, including like in 1991 here, including quotes, they didn't yet know that these these teenagers were innocent. But That's insane. Yeah. If I can just highlight one more quick thing. Sure. Uh, last week we touched on uh, the Rodney King um, beating at the hands of the LAPD had sure. occurred. And this is an article kind of just talking about the state of technology and how it might affect policing and and affect culture in a way where like hey we might have a lot more citizen they don't say citizen journal journalism but basically like hey you know we'll be getting like a lot more it won't just be america's funniest home videos we'll be getting like breaking news and things just from like the average citizen um and here's a quote Ultimately, you can imagine a world of people mailing tapes of rude shopkeepers to store bosses, or reformers taping workmen asleep on the job, or local activists armed with camcorders to deter the police. And like I, you know, I just wonder if the um, the author here, Mark Murrow, could see today where like people are calling out Karens out on social media, and you know, every other week we get videos of police brutality and like. You know, that the article really was correct with in that sense of, you know, we'll come to an era where media and culture is driven by 
um, at the average person's uploads. Yeah, yeah. And you already um, highlighted the number one movie and the number one song. I did, yeah. Although, like, according to my box office, the number one movie this weekend is still Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, isn't that what the the thing you just read said? It said Sleeping with the Enemy. Really? Okay. Well, let's throw that whole uh, article you read in the (laughs) dustbin because... I feel like it's one of those things because you can look up any date and then it generates like a like a take me down back to fill in the date, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I feel like a lot of it might be just kind of like machine generated, like, yes, you know, yeah. pull, pulling from different place. Yeah. Although I did want to like mention the last paragraph. Meanwhile, gamers are playing titles such as Duck Hunt, Golden Axe, Fantasy Star 2 and Railroad Tycoon. Children and teenagers are currently watching television shows such as The Wonder Years, Garfield and Friends, Round the Twist, and Rosie and Jim. Popular toys at the moment include the likes of the NES, Jenga, the Sega Genesis, Mega Drive, and G.I. Joe. Figures. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Figures. Yeah. A glaring Ninja Turtle-shaped blind spot there. Yeah, for sure. And I'll say blind spot again. Blind spot. <laughs> so should we get into this episode? Dude, yes. Fine. I'm ready to talk about this. I'm excited to talk about this episode of Wings. So we have a cold open where uh, Roy and Lowell are sitting across from each other uh, over a chessboard. And after like a few moments of silence, uh, Roy goes, Lowell, are you going to take your turn or what? And Lowell goes, oh, I thought it was your turn. And so Lowell takes the turn and he immediately checkmates Roy. And Roy goes, um, actually, maybe it was my turn. Yeah, with his hand over his eye like, rrr, rrr, rrr. is anyone watching? <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting. I guess, is Lowell really good at chess? I mean, he might be. He's, he is a kind of a savant, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's good at chess. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if Roy's really bad at chess. Yeah, like I feel like Roy wouldn't have the patience for it. He's a checkers man if ever I saw one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And not just his fashion. <laughs> Speaking, do you want to like... Roy's fashion report. Because he's wearing some great ties. This first tie is awesome. To Hit me with it. Describe it. The problem with, with this is that we're still like in SD, you know? Yes. And so it's hard to like make out what it really is, but it's very like, there's a lot going on. It's like blue with like silver. Uh, it almost looks like blueprints mm. or like a hurricane map, like something crazy <laughs> like that. I can't wait for uh, for them to clear, like to clean up wings if they, if they ever if will. If they ever get around to it. Yeah. In terms of the cold open, though, I'm going to give this cold open two stripes. Mm-hmm. The joke uh, didn't hit for me. Nope. I might even go one and a half. It felt yeah. so, like, uh, what's broad, you know? Yeah. and Like, Lowell's doing this voice. Oh, Roy, I thought it was your turn. I guess it feels like the delivery and, and like, it feels like, like, you know, day of, they're like, we need something. We need to like mm-hmm. we need like a cold open, and this this episode could have like just gone. They can skip gone it if they one, don't yeah. have anything. Yeah, I'd rather have zero cold open than like a bad one like this. 
Yeah, the only redeeming quality of this cold open is um, Roy kind of peeking under his fingers as he goes, oh, oh maybe it was my turn. Well, yeah. pers- personally, I found just Lowell saying checkmate funnier than the capper to that from Roy. Um, so it's just like, eh, wasn't really funny. Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't cute. It was a yeah. bad cold open. A bad cold open. I agree. So yeah. You know, I'll just join you in the two. Keep, we'll keep it easy. Our accountant will appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. We'll make it easier for the person that uh, keeps track of <laughs> our ratings. <laughs> yes. The person that will never exist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've thought about doing it, keeping a track of it, and it's it's too late. We've crossed that bridge. Yeah. Too far, yeah. too far gone to start keeping track. Yeah, because like, that would that would require us listening to our own uh, podcast episodes. Yes. <laughs> well, shall we get into uh, the show proper? Sure. Yeah. So the first scene, we're in the airport, um, and Helen brings uh, Faye some tea. I guess they've settled their differences about the outstanding debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've arm wrestled their way back into friendship. <laughs> Faye mentions that she's been rehearsing for a production of West Side Story. And Mm -hmm. Helen and Roy are immediately just like, oh my God, show us. (laughs) And so we get, we get Faye doing a little demonstration. Finger snap dance. Yeah. Finger snap dance. Turn in her head. Yeah. Like a little like bent knees kind of like crouch too. And I loved when she said, oh yeah, it's given me a whole new understanding of youth gangs. (laughs) (laughs) did um Faye is like one of the busiest people on this show she's got so many extracurriculars was there a um like we learned previously she had like a a senior dance class has she ever mentioned performing in theater prior to this I don't know I feel like we've gotten something along those lines though like Mm -hmm. some kind of some kind of stage stagey performance i'm thinking it was the dance class i think that might be what i'm recalling because she does the the dance class she's got her birding she's playing tennis competitively she's got a lot going on yeah she keeps the mind active good for her 100 you know? yeah keeps you from getting old yeah Faye will always be young as young as she acts and this this kind of kicks off our b story for the episode which really i i didn't find had an adequate conclusion and and it's the engine seemed to be running on old old people jokes. We only kind of get, only really get two beats of it, and like we only really hear about it from like talk. We don't really see any of it. But then we we pan over to um, the like I guess the what do you call it? like like the little cafe the lunch area? counter, the lunch yeah. counter where uh, Brian and Lowell are watching golf TV. Why? Who knows. <laughs> Well, we know why Lowell's, Lowell's watching it. Yeah. For the fashion. I just watch it for the fashion. <laughs> like, as they're watching, they're like kind of like describing what's going on. And I guess uh, president, former President Ford? <laughs> yes. Is, Gerald um, Ford. Gerald Ford. <gasps> former President Gerald Ford? Uh, I don't know golf TV terms, but <laughs> he slices it. Yeah, and it basically yeah. like hits a woman, and as Brian watches, he's like, "That's my mom." Mm-hmm. And yeah, so and Helen confirms, and uh, he go he runs and he gets um, Joe to try to show him 
you know, that his, their mom is on TV and we get a very, very cold response from Joe. Mm-hmm. And we learn, do we already know this? That like their mom basically like, like left, uh, you know, went to get cigarettes when Joe was 12, Brian was like 11 or 10, I'm guessing. Uh-huh. And, you know, never came home. I think, I think they mentioned it in the first episode. Okay. I'm not positive. Um, we did see the home movies with their mom mm-hmm. and we, and Joe gave the cameo, his mom's cameo to Helen. Um, but yeah, not, I don't think we've had a lot of mentions of their mom. No. And I like um, the way that Joe plays this actually. Cause it's kind of like, I don't know. Yes. As like, as like someone who's lost a parent, I like, you know, I, I would love like for my dad to be around still, mm-hmm. but if like he just showed up one day, I'd be like, oh man, I don't know how to process this. Yeah. But he didn't go out and get cigarettes though. That's a different case. Right. And yeah. and so like the feeling, even though like, you know, like it's, it's shitty, but there's like still kind of like, like a, a sense of abandonment, even, mm-hmm. even the, though he died from cancer. Yeah. Uh, that would be, hundred percent magnified if like he had just like taken off and, and i was like this motherfucker like didn't even care to stick around for his fucking cool ass children you know their family band yeah i immediately sympathized with joe's position and only more so through the episode sympathized with it like i think he logically forged a way in life that that she wasn't included in um Mm-hmm. And in this scene, I like his reaction. It's not like a burst of anger. It's not like Brian's reaction where he immediately is excited. He you, he clearly wants nothing to do with his mom. He doesn't want he doesn't want any energy wasted thinking about his mom, either good or bad. So he kind of just does his best to brush off the fact that she's there on the television. Yes. And so um, in this first scene, when the show is still funny, I love mm-hmm. like I love like Lowell's, uh when like um they bring Joe out it's like like Lowell's like let me give you a hint mm-hmm. you haven't seen this person in X number of years <laughs> and Brian's like let me handle this and Lowell's like just one more hint he used to be president <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I do and Lowell the look on Lowell's face is he's kind of feeling delight it's great yeah that was super funny Brian's shirt amazing and he has a great tie in this it's a repeat tie but one i know and love yeah and we definitely should just be brian's fashion because that yellow shirt is great the shirt is so good and like a red tie on top of it you know it's like it kind of reminded me of mcdonald's but you know those colors complement each other so well it almost looks like 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 because it's kind of like a, a dark red tie with like kind of gold something like gold design. It's almost mm-hmm. like a like a beetle or something. Is like, like a it, bug to me? It looks like like a chandelier. It's like kind of ornamental, very fine outline filaments, kind of golden on red. Yeah, so nice. At the very top of it, it looks kind of like like a scarab or like it was a beetle of some sort. But like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Hey, Paramount, clean up that video. <laughs> Send us that HD. <laughs> or at least just like the tie region of Brian and like oh. rotos- rotoscope it. So you just have like a perfectly crisp tie over a, a blurry background. 
Yes. Oh my God. That'd be so awesome. <laughs> and his suitcase too, while you're at it. I need to read that bumper sticker. <sighs> yeah. And um, Brian's second tie later on, I think is a new tie. It's a, like yeah. a black tie with kind of big diamond shapes on it. Great color scheme. Like Oh, oh, I think that tie we've seen before. Really? Yeah, but I like that tie a lot. That tie is great. I love it. The third tie though for sure is new. Mhm. And I love this one too, but I like strained for words to even try to explain it. Like it's like a red stripe kind of down the middle of it and then it's sort of like it almost looks like kite reels, you know, like or like honeycombs. <laughs> Oh, yes. Like cutting across it, it's kind of like these like these sort of like shapes of that look like yeah, yeah, like you know, like something wrapped around a cylinder. Yes. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's great. <laughs> it's a great tie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, all in all, we had a great episode for ties, I feel like, between Brian and Roy. Embarrassment of riches. Embarrassment of riches. Now, um, yeah, now we get like the final kind of follow up to phase play, and it's just like Lowell complimenting her on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we learned that the one of the character, one of the actors, didn't have tap tap shoes. We were just that Lowell was just hearing his knees crack, creaky knees. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I I was touched that Lowell went to her play. I love knowing that he's supporting his coworker. Yeah, same. I like that a lot. Like mm-hmm. Lowell seems like he's always kind of um, making sure to support the the town's people. But he big ups his homies. But Brian is nervous, and Brian <laughs> Brian asks Roy when the 445 is coming in. <laughs> Roy goes, uh, 445, that's how we do things at Aeromass. It's one of the funny little ways we do things here one at Aeromass. The, one of the funny little ways we do things here at Aeromass. <laughs> yes. And then he's like, why? And Brian goes, my mother's on that flight. And so <laughs> when Roy announces the plane coming in, I love his announcement. Announcing the arrival of Flight 22 from LaGuardia, Aeromass, the preferred airline of vacationers, business executives, and air competitors' mommies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that may have just been my best laugh of the episode. As, as you know, alluded to, this isn't a joke-heavy, comedy-heavy episode. And um, yeah. that was a great moment of hilarity. Um, 100%, yeah. And so basically, like, yeah, uh, the hack Ma Hackett comes in. May, her name is May. Uh, yeah, May Hackett. Yes, yeah, so I've been calling her Ma Hackett because she's the Ma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She comes in. They reunite. Like her and Brian hug, and they're, they're mm-hmm. like Brian's quick. He's already forgiven her. He's just happy yeah. that she's there. Yeah. Oh, I, I also forgot that like when Brian was nervous, <laughs> and he's like talking to Helen. Um. He says, like, uh, like, you know, like, well, what, what if she's disappointed in how I turned out? <laughs> and Helen goes, Oh, Brian, of course she'll be disappointed. <laughs> and she goes, Well, we all are. Yeah. But she's your mom. She'll love you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh too. Um, yeah. And everything is what I like is everything's in line with character. Like, I like that Brian is, you know, quick to forgive his mother. Never, doesn't seem like he ever held a grudge. He's just mm-hmm. happy to 
to reconnect with her. Um, it, it reminds us that he's like the younger son. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, no, and she comes in and they embrace each other and he's Weber's doing a great job, like projecting like this kind of sense of joy. Um, you mean, you mean Steven Weber, the VIP of the episode? <laughs> I would, you know what we've said, we don't think, uh, Tim Daly's ever going to get VIP, but I would give this episode to Tim Daly actually. Okay. Surprisingly so, but um, yeah, I'm not... interested to to hear your thoughts on why Stephen Weber's the VIP. Uh, oh yeah, I mean we can talk about it at the end, but and well, I might even change my answer by the end, but I yeah. also might have like different criteria for it yeah. than you do. Or we could always just arm wrestle for it. Sure, sure, sure. Since we know we legally can't have a, a co VIP situation. Boy. Uh, Jared, it has been over a week since we started this argument. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, um, oh, yeah. So, Ma Hackett recognizes Helen and she goes, You look positively glamorous. <laughs> and Helen <laughs> is just like, Mom. <laughs> like, yes. Like, wow. Easily won over by just like the tiniest compliment. <laughs> and she continues to dig for compliments to the point where it got annoying to me. Oh, did it? I, it, it, I, got I, anno- I it got annoying to me because I I mean I have to remember that she like knew she was she was close to May Hackett when she was a kid too so she is close but I don't know it felt like she was kind of trying to crowbar her way into Brian's moment. I will say that like in real life I feel like you would have dinner with Brian and the girlfriend and the mom. Like Helen would have been there at the dinner. And I was kind of glad that they didn't do that because like, it was nice to kind of just see the, that their immediate family dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Like Helen would have kind of added like an an extra element to it. I think that wouldn't have paid off as well. Um, And I was appreciative that the mom didn't do something like Helen, I didn't recognize you. You've lost so much weight. I was, yeah, I was, I was happy that she called her glamorous when she even when she was a child, and she know. said that she was cute as a child, but now she's positively glamorous. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, like Lowell's like, well, I guess I don't need her. <laughs> an introduction, and she's like, "Who are you, Lowell?" <laughs> it says so right here on my name tag. <laughs> and we learn that apparently uh like so i thought this was cool because because ma hackett refers to lol as the mathers boy mm-hmm. and like yeah so they did grow up together kind uh-huh. of like i wonder like if they were kind of just like you know like it feels like they were all the same age but maybe like mm-hmm. brian and joe hung out with different friends than than lol yes that that's the sense i get yeah but then we also learned that Lowell once spent five hours trapped <laughs> under the ice. <laughs> and uh, I guess maybe that partially explains uh, why he is the way he is. Yeah. Um, I don't some, know. Got some freeze brain. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they sit down and before they called Joe in, we learned that she was spent time in prison, that, that Ma Hackett spent some time in prison. Mm-hmm embezzlement yeah embezzlement but there's like a funny gag where like she's like i don't i don't want you guys to know where i've been you know i've been working in the laundry and uh brian's like laundry who cares that's great joe get in here Mm -hmm. and then she's like like helen asks like where did you laundry at 
And she says, in the California State Penitentiary. And then Brian is going, no rush. Yeah, no rush, Joe. Uh, yeah. And Brian senses that Joe won't think that's very cool. But I love that Brian is thinks it's so cool that his mom was in jail for embezzlement. Uh, and every detail he learns, he just gets more giddy. Uh, she's like, uh, yeah. he's like, oh, $850,000. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I wish I could have taken you to career day at school. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you did time up the river in the big house in the Gray Bar Hotel. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, let's just lie to Joe about this little detail. Yeah, which is so weird. It, I don't know. I didn't like Ma Ma Hackett calling her son uh, tight ass even in the womb. Yeah, and they're also like a little bit like I'm not gonna call it like a uh, uh, like a discrepancy, but you know she refers to him as like being tight ass from like being a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like later Joe kind of talks about how he became that way when he was forced to kind of like raise Brian and the dad. Yeah, yeah, and like. God, we'll talk about it when we get there. But that final scene just like informed so much about who we're told Joe's character is. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm holding back my thoughts till we get there. But yeah. Well, do you think that like that Ma Hackett still has got some of that $850,000? If she was able to fly out for a single day, that's a, an expensive trip. Well, not only that, but she's like going to anyone who's got the free time to go to golf tournaments that the president Ford is playing at. Right. She has money somehow in the ensuing years. She, you know, she's done well for herself somehow, but she's got to get back the next day um, to report to her parole officer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that that 850,000 had to have been seized, but we know she was an accountant. So she's, she has some wherewithal when it comes to financial management. So Yeah. Do you think that 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 she actually just picked up the eight hundred fifty thousand dollars from the street after it fell off the top of a police <laughs> yes. vehicle? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think she, Brian gets some of his pension for scheming from her. Like I think she's like now she's running a Ponzi scheme or something like that. Oh, that's a great call! Holy yeah. moly! Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think you're right. Next scene, they call Joe out. And yeah, he's completely just like, meh, like, great, you're yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't want to tell her off. He doesn't want to embrace her. When Brian invites her to dinner, he's like, kind of just throws like underhanded comment. Hey, just as easy to cook for three as it is for two. Like, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that he doesn't want to give her any, he wants to give her as little attention as he can. Like, definitely not show her love, but also not show her hate he's just you can tell he wants this woman to have no emotional real estate in his life yeah like she comes out hello sweetheart hello it's great to see you you look wonderful thank you and then brian all the things i wanted to say but i just didn't know how yes (laughs) okay so part of why i I was going to give brian the vip is because he keeps the episode funny Mm-hmm. Like during like a pretty like heavy mm-hmm. d- dramatic episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I agree. Um, this episode 
felt a lot more stage play to me. Um, yes, yes, hundred percent. And a lot of which, in, in general, to me, like when it comes to television, sitcoms as a as a medium are, I think, the closest we get to theater. You'd have to go back to like the fifties and sixties when, you know, they did a lot of like real real playtime theater on TV, and it was essentially filmed plays. But in the modern era, I think sitcoms are the closest thing we get to theater but this episode especially it felt like uh, a play um we'll come to a scene where it's a lot of overlapping dialogue and i think that's where steven weber like you mentioned does a really great job Mm -hmm. um but things like that and just the this episode leans on drama um more than more than comedy so you know you know, like um, Wings took the advice that was being passed around in the 80s. Save the drama for your mama. <laughs> <laughs> they decided to save the yeah. drama for uh, for Joe and Brian's mama. <laughs> oh, another thing I wanted to mention. Yeah, because basically like the ultimately like Joe like reluctantly agrees to like have dinner with Brian and uh, Ma Hackett. Mm-hmm. yeah like as you said like just as easy to cook for three as it is for two basically like saying like sure no big deal let's just get this over with yeah yeah but also in that in that scene as you mentioned like your annoyance with helen um she gets like a fun moment where she's like did you mean did you mean what you say like after like the reveal that she was in prison she's like did you mean what you said and she's like yeah she's like you really think I looked fabulous? <laughs> and the final beat of that is she says, um, now when you said that I looked fabulous, is that like... Was your was your point of reference Palm Springs or the state pan? Yes. <laughs> oh, darling, your your dance card would be filled in either place. Something yes. like that. <laughs> and I wrote down in my notes, Ma Hackett wants to fuck Helen. <laughs> and I said... Is there any hacker that doesn't want to fuck her? <laughs> like even like even like their dead dad like rising from the grave. Oh, <laughs> Helen! <laughs> Instead of brains, it's just Helen. <laughs> um, because yeah, I mean, she spent eight years, you know, in a state pen. So I'm sure yeah. I, we've all seen uh, Orange Is the New Black. Yes, we know yes. what, we know what goes on in there. <laughs> She'd probably trade like four or five packs of cigarettes for a mm-hmm. piece of Helen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, now we're in Joe's kitchen, which is it the first time that we've seen the kitchen. First time we see the kitchen. And we get like, yeah, like I, I like the way that the tone of this is great. Like, uh, well, that was a great, that was a delicious meatball. What'd you put in it? Meat. Like it's like a great joke, mm-hmm. but delivered in a way that really like kind of expresses the the tone yeah uh i i had a lot of notes about tone um i i really appreciate i mean in the past i think we've kind of really uh favored and taken a shine to the more madcap zanier funnier episodes and you know and it's true i think i really appreciate the episodes most where the comedies at its highest Mm -hmm. but in general one thing i love about the sitcom format um and and television in whole is that the ability to like use a universe and characters but make different 
explore different themes and have different tones. And that's one of the things I love about Star Trek, for instance, is you you might have an episode that's like a horror episode, a a comedic episode, an action episode. Um, But today I see, I feel like sitcoms, you know, we're not getting episodic television as much as we used to. It's more serialized. And then even when it comes to your network sitcoms, they seem a lot more formulaic, like they're going to have, the exact same beats at the same time and kind of the same tone overall throughout. But I like older sitcoms, like especially ones from like Norman Lear and people from that generation, they would explore different themes and different tones. And I really appreciated this episode for its more dramatic tone and that it, it kind of wasn't, and it, it's not in the sense of, it's not like a very special episode where they're like trying to tackle like, uh, you know, human trafficking or, or drug abuse or addiction. It's not a very special episode in that way. It's just as mm-hmm. like an episode where that, you know, explored a, um, it, a, a more dramatic side of the interpersonal relationships of these people. Um, and, yeah. and this, in this particular scene, like everything we've been talking about is where it's like the strongest in my view, um, where we get that tone and it's, more about like the drama than the comedy yeah yeah for sure like and they like throw in like comedic moments but yeah like it all kind of serves the tone mm-hmm. by the way you've always been kind of crazy about tone right that's why they call you tone look yes 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 <laughs> <laughs> indeed Break it down. yeah like like when joe goes to do um the dishes and like when she tries to talk to him he keeps on turning the 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 Insincorator on mm-hmm. <laughs> garbage disposal. Garbage disposal, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's being cold. He's like, like you know, it was really good. Do you have any more? And he's like, sorry, I wasn't expecting company. He's like, busting the table already. Mm-hmm. And then, like, um, Brian, early, you know, earlier, as we mentioned, she's th- the Ma Hackett said that, like, he was even a tight ass in the womb. Yeah. <laughs> and after he, like, busts the table, Brian's like, all the way back to the womb, huh? <laughs> yeah. Like, a little call back to that earlier thing. Yeah. But yeah, like he says, like, I can manage the dishes I had to learn, you know? Yeah, yeah. And there's, this scene has a, um, an eye joke from Brian. There's like a lot of eye business from Brian in this episode. <laughs> like, uh, oh yeah. In the previous scene, there was a, a joke we didn't touch on about having his father's eyes. And then here, like Brian's like trying to distract them by like when that, when the mom and Joe are fighting, like, look, look, I could take my eye out. I could take my eye out. Yes, childish yeah. thing to do. <laughs> yeah, because Joe starts accusing her of like living a jet set life in Palm Springs and like, you know, being too mm-hmm. busy with her like whatever champagne breakfast friends to like, yeah. you know, come visit them. And then she starts to tell him that like um she was in prison, but that's when Brian's trying to distract her like, no, let's not go down yeah, this alley. Yeah, yeah. Things are getting too heavy for Brian. Brian doesn't want to like deal with like these kind of heavy emotions. Yeah. And um, Joe gets pissed when it comes out that she was in prison for embezzlement. And Brian has a line that both perplexed and annoyed me. Uh-huh. A little embezzlement. It's not like she's selling rap music or anything. Oh. Like, what is that supposed to mean? I think it, it just means that, like, people were up in arms i think because this is also like i think probably the height of like the uh 
putting parental advisory things on yes. like, rap <laughs> albums and stuff. And so I think that like they're they're taking a jab at like the uptight white white people. <laughs> yeah, I just don't I didn't like that coming out of Brian's mouth. He seems like a, a cool with it kind of guy who if not listening to rap music, he might actually he might just like appreciate that people like it. Oh, I took it as completely as Brian uh likes rap music. You took it as that? Okay, I got yeah, the opposite. Yeah. It, it, like the way the way I took it is that he was like, you know, making a joke about something completely like uh harmless that people consider to be like a crime. I guess I gave I I should have given him more benefit of the doubt. Um I I kind of like was a bit prejudiced because I feel like this this is one of the episodes that ri- is written by a older white guy. So I kind of am just oh like, I see I'm just kind of like primed to get to be looking for some of those kind of curmudgeonly opinions. Oh yeah, I took it totally to, to as as in like um you know it's not like she's whatever selling like propeller hats on on <laughs> the pier like yeah yeah, yeah you know yeah. doing something silly. Okay. Uh, but maybe, yeah, I could be wrong. No, checkmate, Emerson. You're right. <laughs> hey, uh, this is like a joke that probably I heard when in 1991 around the time of this episode. Hey, you know, they should open up a radio station called KRAP. <laughs> yeah, because it's crap. <laughs> <laughs> one of like one of my cousins, maybe, or one of my dad's friends. <laughs> <laughs> I do love um who wants ice cream? Who wants chocolate? Who wants cherry? Who wants to see me eat a mouse? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You're right though. Brian is the the life preserver of comedy for the majority of this episode. Mm-hmm. I love when she goes, I've been in prison, Joe, for eight long years doing laundry. And then Brian, which is a break for us, Joe, because I've had a lot of sad to clean up my shorts lately. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And um, Brian and Joe end up turning on each other, kind of up in each other's faces, fighting. Joe calls Brian uh, pathetic. Yeah. And Brian is immediately like, like, don't you have any dignity, Brian? Uh, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I thought was great. Mm-hmm. Joe storms out and... Um, yeah, well, he storms out, but like on the way, it's kind of like a, like a great physical moment because he's like, here's your family. And he kind of pivots Brian and presses Brian, Brian against them all. Yeah, pushes them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and before we're out of this scene, like, I just want to repeat, like, Brian was great in this with a lot of overlapping dialogue um the, the kind of like dialogue you you see in theater um mm-hmm. great use of the space and uh i loved i love tim daly in this scene especially and the next one i think yeah. his, his performance is really strong um like his anger seething under the surface is kind of use of sarcasm and like i think there's something to his performance that's like a little like humbling almost like it'd be easier to break out with just like seething anger but he's doing like the simmering anger pain sadness under the surface of things and he's being very very vulnerable uh in in this scene and the next one um uh, so that i really appreciated this yeah this next scene for sure felt like theater yeah because um, like not only are we seeing like really strong emotions and these like kind of quiet tense moments and like 
like you know people like kind of staged like walking back and forth away from each other and toward each other and like mm-hmm. you know bare forearms like veins bulging mm-hmm. there's also uh the standard booty boop a bottle of alcohol sitting on the de- table yeah yeah <laughs> like this could have been like a marlon brando scene from a streetcar named desire absolutely yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah and so, yeah, like we're, this is the next scene that we are in the hangar where Brian is cleaning uh, his, the plane. Joe. Um, Joe is yeah. cleaning the plane. Yeah. I, I couldn't find like a, 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 a funny way to cover up my mistake. <laughs> yes, Joe. Um, yeah. So Joe's, well, you didn't see Brian in the background cleaning the plane? <laughs> He's cleaning the tail of it. Emerson, too late. You already, we already know you blew. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and she comes in and she says something like, "Like I knew I'd find you here." The two things you always loved were planes and cleaning. Yes. And yeah, so we get this like this. Basically, I think my notes for this scene are just like, "Hanger, Ma shows up and confronts Joe, and they have some emotions." <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like this. It's a, a little bit of a roller coaster. Um, mm-hmm. Tim Daly is kind of like through the scene. He's like very effectively close to tears, but never like is holding them back and never broaches it. And um, they find he finally like gets into like a deep kind of heart to heart. He gives her enough rope to where he'll like explain his position more. And I really, I think he's for the record. I think he's totally right in not wanting to have her in his, in his life. Um, mm-hmm. and the show could have done a lot of things to make the mom seem more sympathetic, but what made this episode really strong for me is that the mom just came out and said, you know, she's not cut out to mo- be a mother. She called motherhood in- unbearable and she hated her life and basically just like admits that she left cause you know, didn't, didn't love the dad and didn't love being a mom. And I appreciated that they didn't, they didn't give her an easy out of saying like, you know, the dad wasn't being abusive and she had to run. She didn't, she wasn't, she didn't run because she was on embezzling and didn't want her family to get like, they could have written something to where she right. was actually being virtuous by leaving the family. Yeah. Um, she just admitted to being a bad mom. And, um, uh, so I'm like, yeah, in that case, like Joe, like is, I feel like kind of right to be like, Hey, we learned to live without you. So why should I, have you in in my life now um yeah yeah it's great yeah yeah and that whole like yeah he's like you know she's like say something and he's like all right how about this why'd you leave me and she goes oh you went right to the lightning round didn't Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. and yeah she plays it really well just the kind of prim and proper woman who like you know but she's making an effort to like get a new start yeah yeah and and yeah hit like joe's whole run uh, about the weather is like really, really great. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. You went right to the lightning round, didn't you? Well, oh, I'm sorry. What? It's not superficial enough for you? Okay. Well, uh, let's see. How about the weather? Uh, it was raining the day you left. It was sunny the day I graduated from high school. Um, it was partly cloudy the day I took my first solo flight, and it was a wet, miserable day the day that Dad died. You want tomorrow's forecast? That's that feels like uh. The kind of line that an actor dreams to 
to to speak forth upon the stage. <laughs> it was yeah. raining the day you left. It was sunny the day I graduated from high school. Uh, it was partly cloudy the day I took my first solo fight. And it was a wet, miserable day the day that her dad died. Emerson Dibley, uh, Van Nuys, California, no agent. <laughs> <laughs> It really got got me in the heartstrings when um, he says, "You know, I thought you left because I broke your picture," and he reveals yeah. like he had broken some a picture of hers, and uh, he she got really mad, and then just coincidentally, like that's the day she left, and he like went to school and made her one out of clay. Mm-hmm. And like, then he reveals that he's holding it in his desk drawer this whole time. And he like held on to it and gave it to her. And, you know, so it's, it, this demonstrates like a lot. It demonstrates that like, even though he doesn't want to have any emotional connection to her, he still held on to her for all these years in some way and gave it to her. And, mm-hmm. um, God, like we'll get to it, but they kind of come to some sort of, some sort of point where it seems like he's open to having a continued relationship with her in the end. But Mm -hmm. part of me is just like, I, I wish you wouldn't, I wish you would still just be like, nah, fuck off. Cause, um, you know, it's like, she's, she has some lines in this that make me feel like she's still not a good mother and like still shouldn't be in their lives. Like it, it kind of pissed me off when he gave her the clay thing and she starts making jokes about how it's so ugly and bad. And it's like, yeah, it's obviously it was, it was a kid's art. Like, obviously it's bad, but I was just overwhelmed with like how, how touching it was that he made that and then held on to it and how painful it is that he thought it was his fault. She left. Yeah. And like I, I would not be in the frame of mind to make a joke about how crappy it is. So it kind of pissed me off that she did that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But then they have a drink for old times. (laughs) (laughs) And then she says, it's too bad we didn't share a drink back then. And he goes, I was 12 years old. Well, Brian seemed to like it. Uh And he's like, huh? Well, just a little in his milk sometime to help him sleep. I told you I was a lousy mother. Yeah. She well, she convinced. She says, um, "I don't deserve anything from you, but for, I'm going to ask for something anyhow." Can yeah, I have a hug, and they hug, and breaks the pitcher in her pocket, which mm-hmm. they, they both kind of laugh about. Yeah. Oh, also, so I realized that she left 18 years ago when he was 12. So <laughs> Joe is 30. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess does that make sense? Yeah. It does, Tim, but it also makes me feel really old. Uh, Tim Daly was born in 56, so, so he had been 35 yeah. when they shot this. Okay. Yeah, thinking that Joe, a, uh, an owner of an airline, is is only 30 years old makes me feel old. Yeah, because we're, we're both 30 also. <laughs> yes, I, I just turn, turned 30 myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so then... Um, yeah, like they hug, the cup breaks, and Joe's like, oh, I could always make you a new one. She goes, oh, dear God, no. <laughs> so that was cute. Yeah, yeah. And then we get like a little kind of like a final final scene mm-hmm. where they've seen her off. 
we we get like a little interstitial where we see I think one of the Aeromass planes. Did you notice that? No, I missed it. It's like right before the last scene. It's like you get like you're on the runway and you see kind of like you know how like the the Sandpiper airplane is like a little um you know like a small plane you'd see flying overhead mm-hmm. from like a a local city airport. This is like a bigger you know, it's still like an airplane with propellers, but it's like a yeah. bigger, a bigger one. It's like a little bit needlessly long, almost in an ornamental way, and purple, so you know it's Roy's. <laughs> yeah, it's the El Camino of airplanes. <laughs> yeah, and Joe and Brian are—I like the callback to the to the to the giving your son alcohol joke. I say like, "Oh, mom gave me warm milk last night, and made me sleep like a baby." Mm-hmm. Um, and then Helen reminds Joe how does she kind of does a checklist of how dysfunctional this family is yeah (laughs) your father went crazy your mother abandoned you as children ended up in prison your brother stole your fiance ran off with her and got married and then she dumped him and ran off with someone else you know if you just gouged your eyes out you'd have the perfect Greek tragedy (laughs) and I don't think I kind of understand why brian made this joke but i i did laugh my ass off at this joke when when brian comes out with what does he have over his eyes and he's like ma it's me oedipus i think they're like creamers like uh <laughs> coffee you know like little creamer tubs yes like oh i guess he blinds himself with the creamer yeah <laughs> using two golden pins from jacosta's dress as an act of punishment I think like when he finds out that he's married to the mom, I don't know. (laughs) What am I saying? So, but does Brian want to fuck his mom? Well, it's a Greek tragedy. She mentioned a Greek tragedy. I think he's just picking, picking one. Yeah. 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 He shows that that (laughs) instead of Medea. (laughs) Yeah. Let me choose the one where the guy fucks his mom. Oh, I think, I I think she did. She says, you know, if you just gouge your eyes that, you know, the perfect Greek tragedy. Yes. Yeah. Well, Helen set it up, but I the visual of it was was hilarious, though, so I'll take it. Mm-hmm. And we get a funny uh, closing line, like, you really think we're that different from other families? And then, yeah, Brian pops up with the creamers in his eyes. <laughs> Mama, it's me, Oedipus. And then <laughs> Joe goes, I withdraw the question. And we get like a fun moment where Brian's hamming it up with like the the mirrored napkin holder. <laughs> Checking out his reflection. Reflection, yeah. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and rule of threes here. That's like the third Brian's eye joke in this yeah. episode. Yeah. Interesting. If if you did you watch past the end credits? Because that's where you get to see like uh Faye's production of a side story. <laughs> uh yeah, the, the full production. Like the full a, production. <laughs> yes, yeah, I did watch that. Yeah. It was great. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. Anything we uh what you want to mention? I really respected what they did with this episode. Me too. I like. I wrote that there's a good catharsis in this episode. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like a nice emotional buildup that releases, and it feels good. I ended up watching this one three times, mm-hmm. and it like it kind of stuck with me. Um, uh, the day after I first watched it too. Like it's a, is some some episodes of this show you can quick i can quickly forget about but this one this one had i feel like had some meat to it that that gave it some emotional weight so before we get into our stripe writing mm-hmm. 
I found an IMDb review. <laughs> oh my God, I did too. Oh, is it the same one? Arias, Arias in 111? Yes. Yeah, it's from March 2012. 10 out of 10 stars. Oh, wow. I wanted to put in full caps, but IMDb would not let me. Chances are no one will ever read this review. Sorry, lady. <laughs> but I needed to write this one anyway. I just finished watching this episode on Netflix and I bawled at the end. The woman who plays May Hackett was incredible. This episode pushed the limits of drama in a comedy sitcom. The acting was so real and so intense. And the writing in this episode was superb. And as usual for Wings, it was a great mixture of dry subtleties and perfect slapstick. They don't make heartfelt sitcoms moments like this anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 29 out of 29 people found this helpful. <laughs> yeah, make that 30. Count uh-huh. me in. Oh, yeah, big time. Make that 31. Yeah, and... I was so happy when I found this one because I really enjoyed this episode and I went to look if there was a review and was pleased to find this because it it almost echoes my feelings about this episode uh, perfectly. 100%. Um, Well put, Ariazin111. Oh, yeah. So um, are you sticking with Joe as your VIP? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Let's fight about who's a VIP. I I say it's Joe because... uh, you know, this his character didn't grow in this, but this episode contextualizes his character mm-hmm. a lot more. Um, we get the great deal details about his childhood that he really had to grow up fast because of his mom leaving. But Tim Daly, I felt, just gave a ex- amazing performance. Um, there was so much going on underneath the surface of what he was doing, and other actors would have handled it differently. Other writers would have handled like the material differently. It it just would have been like seething anger kind of. And um, this episode really took the time to like dig into the drama of the mom, the mother son relationship and the family dynamic. And uh, Tim Daly like managed the material perfectly. And I really liked everything he did. So uh, I would, I would give, Joe, the the VIP for this one. Yeah, that's that's a fair argument. Um, I mean, I was leaning toward Brian because Brian keeps it funny, and like mm-hmm. Brian, Brian really is like you know heavy throughout. Like he's he's uh, you know watching golf TV when he sees her, and he's like reacting to that. Um, and he's like you know he's kind of like, like kind of like I like. I like how Joe reacts to it, but I also mm-hmm. like that Brian is just like blindly okay with it yes, in a way yeah. that like felt like, like, you know, like looking at kind of shallow feeling way, like th- that kind of fits with his character. And I thought that, mm-hmm. that he did a great job. And plus he's just hamming it up throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I, I actually am going to uh, join you and, and give it to Joe. Because yeah. I don't, I haven't given it to him yet, and I don't know if I'll ever have another opportunity <laughs> to. Yeah, we I don't we may not see another um, uh, another episode where he's a contender, but I don't want to take any way shine away from Stephen Weber because uh, everything you highlighted highlighted is absolutely true. He was he did he did stand out in this as well. Yeah, just like running around like little little madcap you know mm-hmm. joe mm-hmm. get out here i was in prison oh you don't have to get out here <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know kind of trying to control the narrative and everything mm-hmm. and put him putting his head on his mom's shoulders was cute yeah milk and cookies 
yeah, he did a lot of great business too. Um, so yeah, I think are we gonna do stripes now? This kind of sucks for me because I really want to give this episode a four, mm-hmm. but I have to give it three um, because the B story, I think they should have taken it out entirely or had like a third beat to it. And I also didn't qu- quite like, I felt there could have been a better resolution with that somehow tied in Faye's B story at the end. Like I would have loved to see Faye like do that little shuffle dance and kick Ma Hackett in the shins or something with it. Like something, something like I, yeah. I feel like the Ma needed some, some kind of comeuppance or had to pay some penance for, you know, her past in some ex- extent. So even though I don't want to take anything away from everything I, that I loved about this episode, but there, I think there were some missed opportunities and um, yeah, the, the, the B story was not it for me. I think I'll, I was like leaning towards like 3.5 or 3.25, but I think I want to join you in three partially because I agree. Like I don't, I don't think that the, the B story paid off very well. And also that cold open was whack. <laughs> yeah. 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 That. And this episode would have been fine if we just followed the A story all the way through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. cuz we get like fun little nuggets like i i i personally like Helen like you know her little hair flips when she's asking if she really believes she's glamorous and all that stuff yeah. <laughs> um and i like like lol just assuming that she'll remember her and she's like oh wait you're that kid <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah yeah okay yeah three three stripes cool my last and final thought is like I went back and rewatched um I forget the title of the episode but it's the one where Joe gave Helen the cameo the episode where Brian and Joe are fighting over the birthday gifts. Yeah. And how Joe gave Helen Helen the cameo and now I'm like it's I find it very interesting that does does this does this what we've learned now about his relationship with his mom does this change the emotional impact of him giving Helen the cameo, like yeah, he obviously held on to the cameo because he remembered his mom of it. But what does it mean that he gives the woman he's following in, in love with like a little piece of his mom? Yeah, that's a good point. Like, especially yeah. when it's like um, this mom that he's got such a like conflicting feelings about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cause I'm sure like he's mad at her. But it's yeah. because he feels like he wasn't given enough like love by her. And yeah. so I think that like I think it, it almost makes it even more valuable because it's like mm-hmm. you know, like the one of the few things he does have of hers he's giving to like this this new woman that he loves. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, yeah, it's an interesting idea. It adds extra context to that. Um piece of wings history yeah okay so we're going to shut the hangar doors here (laughs) (laughs) and we have talked about this season two episode of wings entitled mother war stripes next week we will be reviewing the penultimate episode of season two entitled murder she roast murder she roast play on words Mm mm-hmm 
If you enjoyed this episode today, if you didn't enjoy the episode today, why don't you give us a a star rating or a review on your preferred podcast application of choice. Emerson, thank you for taking time out of your evening to talk wings with me. Thank you, Jared. Yeah, this was fun. All right. uh, Toodaloo. Till next time. Till next time. Later.